Wow. Hello, good to see you tonight. And on a Valentine's night, you guys are the faithful, the committed. And uh, I don't know if we got just a bunch of single people in here or some couples who decided to come to church on Valentine's Day. I think that deserves a round of applause if you're a couple in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not very enthusiastic, but we love you. Thanks for being here. And uh, I'm excited to get into week two. We started this um, topic last week on situationships. And one of the things that we said is situationships are messy. They are uh, complicated. But one of the things that just constantly comes up when you talk about a situationship is that they often involve a lack of clarity. There's no clarity on what's going on, whether it's like, are we a thing? Are we not a thing? What is this? Are you into me? Are you not into me? And there's just no clarity. And so if we want to have healthy relationships, we have to go after clarity. What does clarity look like in a dating relationships? And even, even before you get into a relationship is what we talked about last week of the importance of, of really chasing after Jesus and, and chasing a healthy life a dependent life, dependent on God before you even get into a relationship. So if you remember last week, we, we compared and contrasted two different paths. You have a healthy path and an unhealthy path. And you have to excuse me, man. I've been fighting some mess. Anybody else fighting some stuff in your head and all that kind of stuff? So my voice is a little bit off tonight, but we're going, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. Um, but we talked about the two different paths. You've got a healthy path and an unhealthy path of dating. And we said the unhealthy path, the first stage, is you're desperate. Now, nobody wants to say you're desperate, but really that's it, is you're desperate for somebody to fill a void in your life, to fill something that really only God can fill. And so you make compromises. You do things as a desperate person that really you don't even want to do. And we compared that to what it means to be dependent on God, that when you're dependent on God and from the very beginning you're dependent on him to provide a relationship in the right time, the right person, in his timing, in his plan. But also you're dependent on him to satisfy you. That even without that person, we know that he satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. And so we're not desperate for somebody that we can be dependent on God. And so I hope that was helpful last week. But I want to continue to look at how do we get clarity? How do we get clarity now that we're not just in the beginning, but how do we fight for clarity maybe even once we're in a relationship? What does clarity look like at that point? Because to me, as I think about these two paths, which are just, these paths aren't in scripture, by the way. It's not like somewhere in the Bible that says there's two paths to dating. We, we talked about that last week. Dating is not really in the Bible. These are just kind of ways of thinking about dating that, that I really believe will put you on a, um, a trajectory toward dating in a way that is biblical or healthy. Not necessarily biblical because biblical dating was what? arranged marriage. So unless that's your thing, uh, um, we, we got to look at how do we go about dating in a healthy way. And so I really believe if you'll look at these paths, it'll be helpful to you. And so the next stage that I want to look at tonight, really we're going to compare two different things. And I want to look first at what happens after de uh, desperation. If you're desperate, what does that then lead to? And so the first thing I want to talk about is how desperation next leads to infatuation. That when you are first desperate for somebody to fill a void in your life, and then maybe you, you get that somebody and they come into your life, the next stage that you go into is infatuation. 
And infatuation, I looked up the, the definition of infatuation, and it is this. You are possessed, already a tough place to start. You're possessed with an intense but short-lived passion or admiration for someone. Possessed with, a sh- with an intense but short-lived passion or admiration for someone. Now, the problem is, is when you are infatuated, you don't really know that it's short-lived, right? So it's not till afterwards sometimes that you can look back and go, well, that was short-lived. In the moment, though, it is an intense passion or admiration for someone. You're just possessed with this. And it's kind of, you know, infatuation is kind of just that, like, whimsical, like, caught up in the clouds. You're just loving the moment. And, and sometimes it's, it's hard to see reality. You're just like, oh, man, for you ladies, you're just like, man, have you seen his eyes? Oh, my gosh, the way he looks at me with those eyes, it's just unbelievable, right? And, guys, I don't, I don't you know, you're like, man. And here's the thing, infatuation, you can even be infatuated about good things. Guys, you're like, yo, bro, did you hear the way she prayed the other night? Did you hear how she was leading that Bible study, bro? She was intense, bro. That's, that's the girl, man. That's my girl, right? And you just get kind of caught up in this whimsical, like, oh, everything is just so amazing. You get possessed with a passion for someone. And that's not all bad. I mean, that kind of happens in the beginning, and that's okay. I could tell you about how I was, I was possessed with passion for my wife when I first met her. The problem is this. It gets unhealthy because infatuation has a way of blinding you to the things that you really need to know about someone. Infatuation has a way of blinding you. And if you're dating for the, the purposes of getting married, which I'm not sure why else you would date at this point, um, but if you're dating for the purposes of getting married, then honestly, you need more than infatuation. You're going to need more than infatuation when you get married. Infatuation doesn't do much when you're married and one of you unexpectedly starts dealing with depression and you can't figure out why. Infatuation isn't really going to help you. Infatuation doesn't do much when you're married and one of you doesn't get the job that you think you deserve and all of a sudden you guys can't afford gas to even go see your family for Christmas. Infatuation doesn't help much with that. Infatuation doesn't help much when you find out y'all can't have any biological kids and now your dreams of a family are seeming like they're getting crushed, infatuation won't take you very far. Infatuation doesn't do much when you find out your parents have a terminal illness. Infatuation doesn't sustain you for 50 plus years of a long and healthy marriage through the good and the bad times. Infatuation doesn't do anything but give you just some heart sparkles in the very beginning. Infatuation doesn't really go beyond that. So you need more than infatuation. But people get infatuated for all different kinds of reasons. Part of it, I think, is people just love being loved. And that's normal. I mean, you love being loved. I love being loved. I mean, we all love being loved by someone. There's not much better out there than knowing that there's someone out there who woke up with you on their mind today. Everybody say, oh. All right, I mean, that's just a good feeling, right? 
and someone who will be there through the good and the bad days, and they're committed to serving you and helping cultivate all the beautiful things that God has put inside of you. Like, no wonder when we find someone who we think could fit that and possibly do that for us, we sometimes get blinded by infatuation. It makes sense, right? Because we love love. People get infatuated because, honestly, they love the idea of love more than they love what, require, what is required of them when they love. So sometimes you can actually just fall in love with the idea of love, not necessarily what it means to love. And I could go on a whole kind of soapbox of what does love mean when you're dating and, and what is actually the real definition of love and can you actually experience what it means to love someone in a romantic way without a commitment behind it. But I won't go there. <clears throat> but we love the idea of love. We love, we love how love makes us look on Instagram. We love thinking about the status that it gives us to have somebody who is ours you love the idea of love more than you do actually what it means to love somebody. And so when you love the idea of love, you just get kind of wrapped up in infatuation. But here's how you can know that you're infatuated. Just one easy thing that I was thinking about is you know that you're just wrapped up in infatuation for someone when you start dismissing all of the red flags. You know what I mean? Like, there's tons of red flags, and you're just like, ah, that's not a thing. You know, pe people in your corner are like, hey, bro, that girl is, like, really snappy at you and says rude things and treats you like crap. And you're like, nah, man, she's just strong-willed, and, and, you know, she knows what she wants. It's like, no, she's actually a jerk, right? But, but you're so infatuated, you're just, you, you can't even see red flags. Hey, uh... Your boyfriend's been fired from like every single job that he's had because of he blows up at customers and has anger issues. Did you, do you think maybe you should pay attention to that? No, 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 no. He's just passionate. <laughs> he's just a passionate person. Mm, I don't think so. That could be a problem. Right? But you miss the red flags because you're just kind of wrapped up in this infatuation. How do people end up in relationships? with the wrong people, and they bring on to themselves a ton of relational pain. Well, they become infatuated with them, and therefore they stop asking the right questions to learn about them. And you're just kind of wrapped up in the feeling of it all rather than asking the right questions. Infatuation causes you to turn off your brain, and instead you just get wrapped up in like dreaming about a future with this person rather than asking the right questions. And so what I want to challenge you is, is to do is instead of being on the unhealthy path where it's just a lot of infatuation, I want to challenge you to jump into the healthy path, which instead of infatuation is, is marked by interested. The difference between infatuation and being interested in somebody. And this, and this, one of the reasons why I think this is a crucial stage for people in dating relationships is because you can start dependent on God. God, you provide for me. You satisfy my soul on the deepest level. God, at your timing, at your plan, you bring the right person. He brings the right person. And then before you know it, you just get wrapped up in the kind of dreaminess of it all, and you stop asking 
the right questions and learning about this person, and suddenly you find yourself on an unhealthy path. So I want to encourage you instead of being infatuated to be radically interested in them. Staying interested, whether you have been dating somebody for a week or a year, you stay interested, which means this, that you are constantly learning about this person. You never stop learning about someone. Whether you've been dating for a week or a year, I am still asking questions to learn about this person. Hear me closely. You are potentially going to spend the next 50 plus years of your life with someone. Don't you think you should spend some time learning about them as much as you can? I mean, that's hopefully why you're getting into a relationship is because that's the goal is you want a long life with this person. Shouldn't you spend as much time learning about them as you possibly can? And here's the thing. If you want to know if you're desperate or dependent on God, then look at infatuation or interested. Because desperate people obsess over what makes them feel better. Dependent people are freed up from that desperation so that they are able to ask the right questions. See, desperate people live in a this-must-work-out kind of world. This has to work out for me. This has to turn into marriage. This has to be that person. This must work out. Therefore, I don't need to learn about them. I don't need to ask the right questions. I don't need to be aware of red flags. I can just enjoy how you make me feel and kind of dismiss all those things because this must work out. Dependent people are able to live in a world, in a place, in a relationship of this doesn't have to work out. Like I can learn something about you. You can learn something about me. We can learn something about each other and come to a place where we go, hey, let's just kind of cut this. Like if, if God's not in this and I'm dependent on God, to satisfy the deepest longings of my soul, to provide the right person for me, then, hey, if this isn't working, then we can part ways. And that doesn't mean it doesn't come with some hurt and some pain. I realize that happens. But if you're dependent on God to heal you and to satisfy you and to provide for you, then I can live in a world where I can date somebody and come to the conclusion that we can, we can part ways here. Dependent people are able to live in a place where this doesn't have to work out. I want to take a second, and I know we got a lot of new people in here, so I want to share with you my story. It's not my story. It's me and my wife's story. My wife's name is Susanna. She's not here tonight because we've got little boys that go to sleep at 8 o'clock. Um, but but she, has, she uh, has given me her permission to share our story. So I know maybe you don't care, but I've got the mic, so I'm going to tell you our story, okay? It's Valentine's Day. I don't get to be with her. Let me just share you our story. So um, I met my wife back in, it was like December, January of, well, January 2011. We got set up on a blind date. Yeah, literally, blind date. Let me get even worse here, a blind date by our parents. Yeah, that happened. And so um, I won't get into the full story, but that happened, okay? I, do you guys have the picture I sent you, Tyler? 
You have that picture? That is a picture of me and my wife back in 2012. No beard, baby-faced. Yeah, yeah. So that was us back in 2012. So we weren't even married there. We were just dating at that point. And um, we met in, in, we started dating in 2011. From 2011 to 2013, we dated long distance for two years. I was in school in Virginia. She was in school in Charleston, South Carolina. It was just kind of how it worked out. So, so we were six and a half hours apart from each other. In 2013, um, she moved to Atlanta. Wait, no, that's not right. Let me think about it. No, 2012, I moved to Atlanta. And then um, in 2013, she moved to Atlanta, and we spent a year together, like around in, in the same area. And then um, in 2014, I moved to Tennessee. We're still dating at this point. I moved to Tennessee, and um, and then later that year, I proposed, and we got engaged, or we got married, the end of 2014. So for three and a half years. We dated and were in, went through the engagement process for three and a half years. So if you're doing the long distance thing in here, um, it's not ideal, but it can work. It can work. You can do it. You can do it. I promise you, you can do it. And, and here's what I want, want you to hear tonight. Not every story is like ours, and we certainly don't have like this, you know, perfect little story. I'm not up here to, to say, do everything like us. It's not like that. Um, but here's one of the things that I learned, I look back on now, and I'm like, man, I'm really grateful for that season because I think it did something in us. And I think the long-distance thing for us helped us get to know each other because we had to ask the right questions over a phone call or over FaceTime. We didn't get to see each other but once a month for a couple years. And so we weren't just hanging out like every day together. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying... Like, what we were able to do is really become interested and ask questions to get to know one another. And what you don't want to do is fall into just this passionate, emotion-based relationship rather than one where you are actually making a decision about your future based on what you are learning about the person that you're with. So you have to stay interested. My wife and I, I, th I really believe through all of that, we were able to trust God's timing through it. It wasn't perfect. It was like, man, I'm moving all over the place to try to figure out job stuff. She was doing her master's and all this kind of stuff. And we wanted more than anything to get married. No one wants to date for three and a half years before you get married, right? We wanted to, but we just had to trust God to go, okay, God, in your timing, you're going to have to do this for us. And eventually it worked out, but we didn't feel like we had to rush it because we were dependent on God. And so what I want to do tonight for a little bit is I want to give you some questions that I think you should be asking about the person that you are interested in or the, even the person that you're dating right now. And, and this, I would encourage you, don't, don't take these questions and be like, okay, we're going to sit down tonight and we're going to figure out the answers to these questions, okay? Don't take this to your significant other and, and do that. But I just want to give you some questions that, that I think you should be asking, you should be looking for answers for, not in like a direct way, but just kind of paying attention to these kinds of things. And, and it, it's just a list of them. I, we don't have them on the screen. But what I did is I printed like a little sheet out, and we've got a bunch of them out there in the, uh, at the Next Steps table. So it, don't, don't try to write all these down. Just listen for a little bit. And if you're interested, you can grab that sheet on your way out. And uh, we'll look at maybe posting them online for you as well so you can get those. 
So just ask good questions. Here's the thing. You don't have to ask these questions. Just come up with your own questions if you want. But come up with questions that help you get to know a person's character. The main point is this. you got to hear this. Learn before you love. Learn before you love. And infatuation causes you to just get wrapped up in a feeling rather than learning about someone. So some of these questions, I don't think they're red flags. They're just kind of yellow flags, <laughs> you know, or whatever not a red flag is. just a step down from a red flag. So you, you kind of you decide for yourself, what is a red flag, what's a yellow flag? But let me just give you a few of them. I think you should ask a bunch of questions that give you insight into just their relationships and how their relationships work. For instance, how do they treat their parents or their friends? Ladies, doesn't, doesn't it matter how he treats his mom? Amen. How do they treat him? Yeah, let me move on. What are their friends like? What are their friends like? Show me your five best friends and I will show you your future. So if, if, if you think he is like some gem of a human being and yet all of his friends are duds, he may be putting on a show for you. Okay, sorry guys, I'm stepping on your toes. I, I'll, I'll, I'll step off them a little bit. I'm gonna come to the ladies in a little bit. So what are their friends like? How do they handle relationship conflict with people? I mean, just pay attention. How do they handle conflict with people? Do they blow up and rage? They start gossiping about everybody? How do they handle relationship conflict? Are all their best friends the opposite sex? I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think you should ask, what does this tell me about them, if that's the case? What does this tell me about them? What's their last girlfriend or boyfriend like? I mean, don't you want to know? And, and why were they attracted to that person? If, that's the question. <laughs> and what happened there? What happened in the last relationship? Have they ever told a boyfriend or girlfriend, I love you? And if so, why are they not still together? <laughs> you just kind of throw that word around flippantly? <laughs> this is fun. Um, some other categories of questions, some, some life management questions. Do they handle money well? Are they in major debt and still spending? Hear me, hear me, hear me. You're in college. You probably have college debt. If you don't, great, but you may. I, it, to me, it would not be a red flag if someone has major debt. What would be a red flag for me is if you have major debt and you are still spending. Okay? So, so think about these questions. These, these, some of these aren't like, ah, you're out of here. You know? Just, just think, what does this tell me about this person? Can they keep a job? If not, why not? Where are they headed with their life? Are they just talking about what they want to do or are they pursuing it? How well do they handle life when it's not going their way? Gosh, I thought that was better than you guys responded to. But Some character questions. Are they honest even when it makes them look bad? Gosh, that one hurts me. 
Are they hardworking and consistent? This, this, so this is what I mean. Let me, I'll brag on my wife some more, okay? Um, my wife ran track and cross country in college. So she, <laughs> all the team down here. Uh, so, and she was a scholar athlete and she graduated with an undergrad in three and a half years. She went on to do her master's at the University of Georgia, and she completed that in a year and a half, okay? So she got through undergrad and master's in five years and was an athlete through that. Now, to me, what that meant to me was my wife is a stud. I don't know what the female version of that is. But, but the thing that I liked about that is that I, it showed me she is hardworking. And when she puts her mind to something, she gets after it, man. Like, like, and she commits to something, and she does it really, really well. And I can tell you right now that that has translated into how she's a mom and what she, she's a full-time employee somewhere, and she's an incredible mom. She's an incredible wife because when she puts her mind to something, she works at it, and she does not give up. And so there were things that I saw in the very beginning that I'm telling you have, have translated and even gotten better as we've gotten old together. <laughs> Love you, babe. Some other questions. Do they have bad habits that they say they will break but never do? Do they have a criminal record? <laughs> I just think that's important to know. I don't know if that's a red flag or yellow. You decide. And then lastly, I want to give you kind of some, some spiritual questions I think you should ask. Do they have real intentions of knowing and following Jesus? Like real intentions. And don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. If, if <laughs> like, is he a Christian? Oh, yeah, man. He loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. Really? Well, what church does he go to? Well, you know, he's not really into church. Hmm. Okay. How do those, I mean, I'm just curious, like, how do those two things go together? So, so just kind of probe a little bit. Like, like I'm not just kind of looking at, does he, does he, you know, say Christian in his Instagram bio or whatever. I want to know, like, how does this actually play out in somebody's life? When you're around them, are you challenged spiritually? Is their life changing as a result of their relationship with God? Do they love the local church, the bride of Jesus? And then this one I just added on there. It's not in the notes out there. I just added it backstage because I wanted to. Um, do they tithe? Now, now, I don't have time to like do a whole teaching on on tithing. And so if you're new to church, you're not sure what that is, don't worry about it. It's basically the idea that Christians should give a portion of their money to the church or back to God as a way of saying, like, God, all that I have is yours anyway. I'm not, like, chained to money. I trust you to provide for me. And I want to advance your kingdom. Like, I want to invest my life into the things that matter to you, to advancing your kingdom. That's kind of the idea um, around tithing. I think you should ask, do they tithe? And, and I'm, I'm about to not make some friends here, so just buckle up real quick because it's going to get rough for a second. Um, ladies, let me ask you this. Would you marry a thief? 
like, like a pathological thief, like he can't stop stealing. You wouldn't, would you? So why would you marry a man who's willing to steal from God? Who doesn't tithe? Who holds on to everything and says, this is mine? Who doesn't say, God, this is yours? Now, I know it's different. You're in college right now, and <laughs> income is wildly different. But I'm just saying, I think at some point you got to ask that question. And, and hear me, all of these things, all of these things, these questions, you can't find out overnight. Please do not, like, leave here and just go sit in your car and go, okay, tell me, or do you have a criminal record? Like, that's not going to go over well. But hear me, that is okay. Because when you're not desperate, you have time. It's only when you're desperate that you feel the press of time to find someone and you feel like you can't let this one go. Be dependent. I'm trusting God. I can ask the right questions. I can seek honest answers. I can learn about someone. I can pray about this and think about this. Lord, is this a red flag? Is this not a big deal, God? What is this? You can navigate some of those waters when you're not desperate. So pick your own questions if you want to. I'm just giving you kind of a sample of some that I would be asking. But the bottom line is this. Learn before you love. Learn before you love. Now, um, last week, if you were here, I spent the last few minutes just talking to the men in the room. And it was a great honor, privilege for me to do that. So tonight, I want to I do something. I want to close a little bit differently. And I want to talk to just the women in the room. And... Um, this, please hear me, like, just doing that, man, I consider it a real honor and a privilege to do that. We have some incredible ladies in here. Like, honestly, we have, we have some women in here who love Jesus with all their heart, who are chasing after him, and I just consider it a real, real honor that you would, um, man, that you would be here tonight to let me kind of speak into this area of your life. And, and so I just want to kind of pick up a few things that I want to encourage you with. And, and just say, on, on your journey of dating and relationships and navigating all that, I just picked three things that I want to encourage you with tonight that I think will go a long ways for you. So, ladies, you ready? Okay. Uh, number one is this. I just want to encourage you to set your eyes on Jesus. Like above all else, chase after him. Let him transform you. If you will learn how to get your love tank filled by the fact that the God of the universe created you and is crazy about you, then a little attention from a guy won't be as appealing. Get your love tank filled by the God of the universe who's crazy about you. Set your eyes on him and chase after him. And I promise you that'll go a long ways. The second one is I want to take a little bit of a leap of faith here to get into this. And um, hey, Rachel, I want to take a little bit of a leap of faith here. And quite honestly, this second one scares me a little bit to talk about. And so I'm going to do so as gracious and gentle as I can. But I'm doing so because as I've thought about this over the past week, I, I felt like, like God was saying, yeah, go for it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. 
And, um, and, and honestly, the reason why it's so scary is, is I don't know that you have ever heard a pastor or someone in a church say this. And that's partly why I want to say it. It scares the crap out of me, but I, it's partly why I want to say it. So let me go for it. Following Jesus changes a lot of things. Do you agree? It changes a lot of things. It changes, like we just said, how you view money. It changes how you view relationships. It changes how you view work. It changes how you view uh, rest. It changes how you view your time and how you use your, ch- your time. It changes a lot of things. And so I want to encourage you to ask this question. Does following Jesus change the way that I present myself? Okay, I just want to give you that question. And I don't even think I'm going to answer it. I'm not going to give an answer, but I think you should take that home and wrestle with it. Does following Jesus, like, are there implications from that on how I present myself? And when I say present myself, I'm, I'm mainly thinking about, like, how I present myself and what I wear, how I present myself online, social media, or, or I don't, even dating apps, I guess, but how you present yourself. Does the fact that you're a Jesus follower change that? I think you should wrestle with that question. And just because I, I, I really care about you and my fear is that maybe nobody has ever asked you that or you've never thought about that before. Someone asked me as I was saying, guys, I think I want to bring this up. Someone said, well, what's your vision behind that question? Like, what are you going after? And I said, well, part of me, I just... I feel for the, the, the girl in here who maybe didn't grow up in church or maybe, maybe has never had a parent who, who asked them that question or, or taught around that topic. Or, or maybe you've had a, a toxic way of viewing that. And I feel for you in that. And so that's part of why I just want to say, hey, have you ever given some thought to this? And, if, and let me just give kind of a a few points right off the bat to that conversation or that, that piece of, um, of input. First thing is this. I firmly believe, just so you know, I firmly believe that it is each person's individual responsibility to purify their own thought life. Okay? It is my responsibility to purify my thoughts. It is your responsibility to do the same for yours. It is your individual responsibility. So I don't play the blame game. We're not playing any kind of like, well, because she dressed like this, it made me think of these things. No, 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 no. This isn't the blame game, okay? It is your responsibility to purify your thoughts. It is my responsibility to curate my own thought life and to surrender daily to the Spirit and live in self-control so that I do not treat women as objects to fulfill my sexual desires. That is my responsibility, and it is your responsibility as well. Okay? The second point I just want to make. This is a matter of your heart, not of the law. So I don't know what kind of church environment you grew up in or what you heard somebody say, but the Bible, as far as what I have read, the Bible does not say, you know, women should not wear their Lululemon shorts too short, okay? I haven't read that anywhere. 
or, or girls should not post bikini pictures on their Instagram. I haven't read that anywhere. So this is not a, a matter of like a rule that's been said or this is what the Bible says. It says you should not do that. It hasn't. In my opinion, people and churches and really entire denominations have taken this way too far and they pluck verses out of scripture that are out of context that fit the narrative that they want to spin. So you can find some things in 1 Peter, or some people find some things in 1 Timothy chapter 2, or some things in the Gospels where it, it literally talks about how if, if you cause someone else to sin, that you would be better off to tie rocks around your neck and jump in the water. Okay, And so what happens is people take that verse and they say, okay, well, if you cause me to lust, then that's on you. But when you really look at that scripture, when the word sin is actually um, causes people to fall away and fall away, referring to the fall away from the faith. So if you call someone to fall away from faith completely, like deny their faith, then you would be better off to tie rocks around your neck and jump in the water. That's actually what that verse is saying. So, so I think it is a hermeneutical leap to say that that's what scripture is saying is that it's your fault or whatever, okay? So this is, this is more about what is your heart than it is a law. Does that make sense? So, so let me just kind of flesh this out a little bit more. To me, what you're asking or what you should be asking around the question of, does the fact that I follow Jesus change the way I present myself? What you should be asking is actually this. What are your motives with how you present yourself? I think that's the genuine question. That it doesn't matter if you're male or female in here, I think you gotta ask that. What are your motives with how you present yourself? Is there any part of you that is hoping to appeal to the sexual desires of a man or a woman? With your looks? With how you're presenting yourself? And if so, are you, are you willing to admit that you're aligning more with the Proverbs 7 person that we talked about last week than the Proverbs 31 person? I mean, if, if that's your motive is to appeal to that desire in somebody, then that says something about your motive. Are you, are you fishing for attention or compliments because deep down you're struggling with deep insecurity? Is that the motive behind it? And this requires some incredible, incredibly courageous honesty from you to go, what, what is my motive? And I just think if we're willing to say, as we did earlier, that following Jesus changes a lot of different things, then we got to add to that, does it change how we present ourselves? So what are your motives? And then secondly, I would just ask, you need to be asking yourself, what am I communicating? with how I present myself. What am I communicating? Because we, we communicate through how we present ourselves. And my fear is that some of you girls are appealing to guys in ways that you really don't even want to. And so maybe it's actually unintentional. Maybe, maybe you're a little bit ignorant and you don't even know that that's how you're appealing to guys. And so if you just allow me to kind of shepherd you some tonight, pastor you a little bit, you are making an appeal to men with how you present yourself. 
And it could be that what you are appealing to is two things. One, you could be appealing to the worst in a guy. Think about this. The guy who doesn't want to treat women as an object of his sexual pleasure. He's fighting to be a man of God, but sexual temptation, like for many, is his weakness. And you appeal to the worst part of him, the worst thing about him, the part that the enemy is using to steal his joy, to kill his calling, and to destroy his future. And you're appealing to that. Is that what you want to appeal to? What are, you, what are you communicating? What are you appealing to? Sometimes I, I, sometimes I wonder if, I wish I could just invite some of you ladies into the frequent conversation I have with the guys in our ministry. And, I've been ha- and even not in this ministry, I've been having this conversation for 10 years wherever I have served at, whatever church I've been at. I can't tell you how many times guys come and talk to me and we're like, man, how you doing? Dude? How, how's your thought life? And it's just like, dude, I'm trying, man. Like, I am fighting lust every single day with everything I have. But, man, I just, I feel like everywhere I go, everywhere I look, I'm just being bombarded. And I can't escape these thoughts. And it's men who care deeply about becoming a man of God and ridding themselves of that kind of stuff. And I just want to ask you, like, as a woman, man, how do you receive that? Like, does that matter to you at all? And like I said, no one's blaming. I'm just saying, like, what, what, what do you feel is, like, your role in that? But not only to the worst in a guy, you, you often appeal to the worst type of guy. And this is what I'm scared of. I'm scared of that you're not even realizing, potentially not even realizing, the kind of guy that you're appealing to. If you use your body in a way to appeal to the sexual desires of men, then hear me closely. There is a good chance you're going to capture the attention of guys who look at you and see you as a woman who's who's body can be used to fulfill his sexual desires. Now that is still on him and that is his issue and that is his struggle and that is maybe not even, if he's not even a believer, then that's not even like his fight. That's just what he does. So that's on him. But I'm saying if you're using your body intentionally to pull that out of him, then you're appealing not just to the worst in a guy, but to the worst type of guy. And I, and I want to be just, like I said, I want to be incredibly sensitive and, and gracious in and, and talking through this because I, I know it's tough. But I told the story last year, and so some of you have heard it before, but several years ago I was um, serving young adults at another place, at another church, and um, there was a girl who, who was involved in our ministry. She was a friend of ours. Like, I knew her really well. She wasn't a stranger. She came into my office and she was super upset. And she was, and not just like crying, she was angry. And she had just gotten out of a nasty relationship and she was ticked. And she ends her kind of rant with, with, you know, all men are dogs. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm kind of offended by that, <laughs> right? And then I just said, and keep in mind, I knew her. I know this is harsh, but I just said, well, 
Maybe if you stop putting dog food out, they'd stop coming to eat. And I know that's harsh, and I wouldn't say that to just anybody. I knew her. But here's what I'm trying to get you to understand is the kind of bait that you use determines the kind of catch that you get. And, and, and I, I know you ladies, I know what you want is a man of God, a man who loves you for who you are, a man who's not just trying to use you for your body. I know that's what you want. And so let me just think, like plead with you. It matters the kind of bait that you use. And so think about how you're appealing. What are you appealing to? What are you appealing to? And then lastly, I'll end with this. I just want to encourage you that, women, you are worthy. You are worthy of being treated with honor and respect. So please do not settle for less. Please do not settle for less. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, Paul is, is describing in 2 Timothy kind of a warning, a watch out for these things to come. And he says this in verse 6. He says, these kinds of people, they are the kind of people who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Ladies, just listen to me. There are some guys who in their depravity look for ways to have power over you in order to manipulate you and control you. Do not settle for that. Do not settle for that. When you realize, when you realize you're in a bad relationship, in a toxic relationship or with someone who mistreats you, end it. Get out. Immediately, Don't think, don't feel, don't pray about it. Don't hang on to them. Get out. You would rather be single than sick. You'd rather be single than in a sick relationship. I promise you that. And so if you find yourself in that, then run. You deserve, you are worthy of being treated with honor and respect. And so don't settle for less. So what I want to do tonight is, is like I did last week, I want to pray for all you ladies. If you would just, um, ladies, would you stand to your feet? And I just want to take an opportunity to pray for just you tonight. You know, I thought about this um, last week as the, the guys stood. I just thought, man, incredible, incredible potential in here. And even as I look at, at you ladies, I think about even the stories that, that each of you have right now, like, like the journey that you've been on through dating and relationships and sometimes even the pain that comes with that. I, I Oftentimes I talk to some of you and I just... My heart breaks over the pain that you've already been through as an 18, 19, 20-year-old girl. And so I just want to pray.
first that, that God would begin to heal that in you. And I want to pray that he would give you a vision to see the kind of relationship that you're worthy of having. One that honors God. One that seeks to please him. And I want to pray that you would get a vision for that and not settle for anything else. Maybe you've never seen it before. Maybe you didn't grow up with that as kind of your picture of what you saw in marriage. I want to pray that you'd get a vision for it. So, Father, I do pray. I pray for healing for those who need it in here. God, for these ladies who have already endured significant pain and heartache, maybe from their own doing or maybe from somebody else, what somebody else has done to them. God, I believe the song that we sang earlier, that Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. So I pray, God, that you would invade their heart on a deep level, so much so that darkness would tremble and that they would come to realize that you are the great healer for their souls. And Lord, I do pray that you would begin to set a vision in their mind of what a healthy, God-honoring relationship looks like. And God, if they're not in that yet, that you would set a vision in their mind for what just a God-honoring life as a single woman looks like. God, and that they would not settle for anything less than a life that is spent completely yielded to you. And God, as they seek to love you and honor you and let you change them and transform their every, every part of them, God, would they have the courage to consider what that means about every bit of their life? Would they have the courage to ask the hard questions about their motives and the deep things of their soul that are driving them. And God, I pray as a result that you would bring to the surface that you would elevate God, women in our church, women in this ministry who truly have a desire to love you and follow you. So Lord, we bless you and we ask um, for your favor on them. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.